0: Let's talk Oklahoma State sports. Gary Neiman, columnist for the Tulsa World, joined by Eli Letterman. He's the beat writer covering the Cowboys and the, uh, the Cowgirls. Now that we're into uh, spring season and softball season especially, uh, we will talk about softball and basketball before we're done here. But first, Eli, let's do our, uh, let's do our duty and remind everyone to, uh, to please continue to download and subscribe to any podcast that the Tulsa World Sports uh, Powerhouse puts out. You can do that courtesy of Google. Spotify and Apple and or watch this uh, this video every week that uh, that we manage to to crank out at Tulsaworld.com. We thank you seriously for your support and your patronage moving forward. Uh, we try to give you something for your investment. And today, Eli has a conversation about first Derek Mason's contract. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's making a pretty decent amount of money to come coach the Cowboys.
1: He's doing just fine. I mean, you can point out that it's a, a four hundred thousand dollar pay cut from what he was getting at Auburn, but I, I think he's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this week the, the contract is not finalized yet, but the terms are are pretty much set. And so we were able to confirm this week that Derek Mason is is has come to Stillwater on a two year deal, and that that to me is maybe as interesting as, as the dollar figures for one point one million dollars annually, and that makes him the highest paid assistant uh, in Oklahoma State history. Jim Knowles was making eight hundred K before he left. Casey Dunn, that's his salary at least as things stand now. So it's a pretty, it's a junk for Oklahoma State. You know, if you look at the SEC, that's not a crazy figure, but certainly for the Cowboys, that's a new number. And uh, and as I said, as interesting as maybe what he's making, and, and it is a drop-off from the one point five billion he made at Auburn last year, um, is, is that two-year deal. This is not a, a five-year contract or, or anything that, at least off the bat, says, you know, screams Derek Mason is, is here for the long run. And I don't know that anyone even before these details were out maybe felt that way. I think this hiring reinforced now by the years can be looked at as shorter term, maybe, you know, a mutually beneficial thing. Because I think if if there's a case that Derek Mason has a head coaching job in in a year or two, it should mean that it's been a good two years for him running Mm -hmm. this defense, but um, that certainly leaves that door open. Here's something else that we glean from the fact that
0: Mason's taking a pay cut at Oklahoma State. It's that he's getting out from under a really nasty situation yeah. at Auburn, and that only intensified this week. It wasn't just news of the contract and the and the, the dollar figure being, again, less than what he got on the planes. It was the dumpster fire that has become the Brian Harson regime in uh, at
1: Auburn. Certainly. I mean, he wasn't the first or only one to get out, but it seems like he got out early and on time because – it's only gotten worse there. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, that's an important distinction too. It's not exactly like Oklahoma State poached him right off that staff. I mean, they're mm-hmm. making a step down from his role, seemingly with, with the understanding he was coming to Oklahoma State, but he really did, did it seems, you know get out from a pretty dicey situation that's still playing out. I guess Brian Harson is back from his vacation. He may have had the worst vacation in human history. <laughs> he was probably on a beach somewhere just trying to lay out uh, and meanwhile, back home, his program is crumbling. Yeah. Uh, and, but he made it, I guess, to the SEC meetings uh, today with the coaches. And, um, right. To, to keep an eye on. Although, I, I'll say this. I, I called it the worst vacation in human history. If he'd just gotten fired sitting on the beach right there, he would have had $18 million I was going to so say. So, I maybe <laughs> never would have left the beach. So, I, t- I take that back. I think <laughs> Brian Harsin's going to be okay. <laughs>
0: It's like $18 million to, uh, to hang out at Lover's Beach in Cabo. I, I do that for longer than, than a few days. Um, hey, moving forward, it, it is interesting, though, to dig into details regarding OSU's uh, salaries and the structure there with the assistance, because one thing that Mike Gundy has made clear the the point that, that he's the general point Eli that he's made clear is that we can be big time, but we have to act big time, right? And he's yeah. not he's not just talking about football talent and recruiting class rating. He's talking about infrastructure and where it where there's infrastructure, there is financial infrastructure. And he's particularly pointing to I think uh, doing right by his staff, not just him. I mean, obviously, he wants yeah. to take care of himself. That's been a big deal to to Gundy over the years. We all know that about him. But more and more. It's about keeping up with Power 5, upper level of Power 5 staff figures in terms of what they're paid. And so I, I think it's not just important to see what Mason's making, but down the road, find out what's being done to some of the more long-serving lieutenants of his, right? And that includes the the OC and Casey Dunn.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think next year is kind of a make-or-break year for Casey Dunn in a sense an offensive coordinator, and he may be playing as much to hold on to his job as he would be to, you know, be upping that salary, maybe get it into that that Derek Mason range. But right. when you say, you know, power five and playing with the big boys, this is it. This is, you know, there were maybe more options out there that would have been cheaper, uh, less experienced. As we have hit the nail over and over, you know, maybe he could have gone and found his next uh, Mike Yersish from Shippensburg. But he went out and got an SEC coordinator who, in his background, is, is SEC head coaching experience. Uh, we all know what he did at, at Stanford. So this was a, a serious big swing. And, and so sort of that's part of it. That's what he's spoken about since the festival was, was elevating this program. And that's the start of it. And then beyond that is those other assistants. And I'd be curious, you might have to uh, dig a little to get these figures, but does, does someone like Joe Bob Clements or any of these other experienced assistants, did they get any kind of pay bump, whether it's the result of this past season and the success or keeping them around? Because we know Joe Bob Clements in particular yeah. Um, is maybe someone we looked at for this job, or someone who he himself has said he's got aspirations down the line, and and for him to make a move after nine years to a different position to coach underneath Eric Mason, you do wonder maybe if he's gotten a little bit bumped as well. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good point to, to think about the trickle down there.
0: You wrote about Clemens this week for the world, in, in terms of his redefined rede- uh, rede- role as as linebacker's mm-hmm. coach, particularly to see how how that translates. I'll put a plug in for something I haven't written yet, but but will. By the uh, by, Super Bowl Sunday, and that's uh, a piece about a, a former OSU defensive coordinator, Glenn Spencer, who I was able to speak with this week about Trey Flowers. And this is this is instructive, I think, not because um, of the fact that you know you want to promote someone that we once wrote about and who's playing in a Super Bowl, and there are quite a few of those guys in the game on Sunday between the Bengals and the Rams. Several former Oklahoma Sooners, especially. When you consider that the, the two running backs for Cincinnati are Joe Mixon and Samaje Pirine. But Flowers has been a, a part of, of since he's run to the Super Bowl uh, in, in the secondary. And it was really cool reconnecting with Spencer, not just because I enjoy speaking with him. He's, he's a really decent man. Anyone who's known him or known anything about him will, will realize that. But the bond between coaches and players, uh, it's easy to turn that into some kind of a cliche, Eli. Because that's supposed to be there. But then when you realize that it does exist, and you know, I won't, I won't get into the particulars of the column, but I will say that it's reassuring, I think, mm-hmm. to realize that that these kids stay with stay in their coaches' you know, bodies and souls. When they've moved on or coaches take other jobs, and while it's easy to be jaded and cynical about, about the profession because of other things that coaches do, this, this, this stuff stays pure. And so um, I'll invite folks to ch- to check out the column, not just for Flowers' sake, but for Spencer's, the guy who had his ups and downs as a coordinator under Gundy, but uh, as a as a as an influencer, as a mentor, I think is uh, is unassailable. So I thought that yeah,
1: was cool. And I I think that's maybe a good message right about now or in this offseason with Oklahoma State is maybe everyone needs to take a deep breath. There's there's going to be people upset about Jim Knowles still and feeling like he he bailed, but I think the the players. Um, who played under him are going to maintain that connection with him, maybe similar to what Glenn Spencer and Trey Flowers have felt and vice versa. Uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of breathing room on it. Well, I, I think down the road, it would be fascinating to hear what Jim Knowles has to say about his departure and what his players have to say, the, the remaining ones. Um, but, you know, for all that can be made about a guy, p- pick whatever word you want, bailing for the money, yada, yada, that, that those connections probably do remain. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, as you said, pure at the center of this business that, I think a lot of time feels anything, but well,
0: the you start you bring up Knowles and his connection. I keep getting that picture of was it after I think it was after a game. It was either a game or a practice. I wasn't in the room, but I, I'm pretty sure you were, where Knowles was talking about something that was happening or had happened. I think it was after a game that, that I wasn't at. And two of his players came up and joined him on the podium, right? And
1: and he sort of put his arms around them and yeah and uh was who was that uh it was peel and, and jason taylor that's uh, right and they just and that photo it's one of my favorites that i have um for this past season it's just the two of them they didn't say anything they were <laughs> i guess i mean over the course of the season jason taylor and kobe Harvell peel roommates good buddies had kind of like served as their own bodyguards if, if jason taylor was speaking kobe yeah. Harvell peel would go up there and wouldn't say a word he'd refuse to say a word but he was there as his bodyguard and vice versa and that night they were up there with, with jim knowles and uh, he had his arms around them. And I, I think those should be the kind of enduring pictures. If you really want to get toward the truth, you know, there's, I'm sure there's disappointment with the players. I'm sure heartache for Jindal is leaving, but yeah. uh, it, I think maybe if anyone feels the animosity most, it's, it's fans more so than these players. For sure. uh, they, yeah. they hold on to these.
0: Yeah. The fans take this stuff
1: ridiculously personally. I, I don't
0: blame them necessarily because they, they you, you're, you, in a lot of cases, not. you're not just investing your your uh, you know, your fandom, you're investing your min- your money. If you're actually buying mm-hmm. tickets and going to the games, I get it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think the ones inside the uh, the building are the one. Uh, they're they're maybe most uh most familiar with with you know what's what and uh, and relationships. And if if you've got former players or current ones, even on Twitter, making a fuss about a coach leaving, I think that's when you start to pay attention to uh, to issues. But otherwise, yeah, I think. I think there's a lot more of the the kind of scene that we're talking about that's left behind, even if the the divorce is, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, divorce is difficult. So, mm-hmm. uh, did I did whole, did Harvey get an invite to the combine this week? I think he, he did
1: not. He did not. I'm, no, I mean, there, there were was four, some snubs. we four so there's, OSU guys, right? There's three OSU guys in one former. So Jelani Woods, former tight end, okay. got the invite from Virginia, but it's it's Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, shoot, you know what, Colby Harville Appeal did. He was one of the three. It's he was? Warren. Yes, he absolutely was. Okay. Um, so the, he was not among the snubs. So you've got Malcolm Rodriguez, Jalen Warren, Colby Harvell, Okay. all invited and expected, I'd assume, to attend the combine in March. But I think there's at least some argument there for, for Tay Martin, a right. guy who, who really lit it up this year. And Josh Stills, who's a, a multi-time, you know, all Big 12 lineman. But, you know, there's only 324 of these spots. And while Oklahoma yeah. and Alabama seem to snag a good number of them, I think they're hard to come by, um, but uh, but I was glad to see, especially a guy, I think, Malcolm Rodriguez, we've seen what he could do, and mm-hmm. it's hard to believe, you just like to the stat line, that he might have trouble, you know, impressing NFL teams, but that's kind of been his story the whole way, was, you know, never quite, you know, getting that belief, and that's, that's a tried and true story, but in his case, he just kind of had to prove it, and I think he's got to do that again at the NFL level, so for him to get that opportunity at in Indianapolis, I, I think he's exciting, and and maybe most fun to watch of all, is Jalen Warren, just a guy who... This time last year, I don't think his pro prospects were were anywhere. They might not. They might have been non existent. And now yeah, uh, he goes yeah. there, and I, I think after the season he had, not only the stats he put up and the impact he had, but probably looked like an NFL running back a lot of those Saturdays. And, and so mm-hmm. he's another guy maybe with a shot to to impress.
0: Yeah, my thing is if, and this isn't a shot at Chris Carson. Don't misinterpret this, but if Chris Carson can carve out an NFL career, a guy who yeah. stopped by and played a little running back for OSU uh, recently. Few, sir, I guess what five five years ago now it's been five. Yeah, I think that's about right on the timeline. If Carson can can be given the ball in the NFL, I think Warren deserves at least a chance uh, in, in a camp somewhere. So we'll we'll follow that. Um, all right, Hoops Bedlam, yes, good positive, but then TCU comes along at a game. I thought Eli that the Cowboys could could ride down to Fort Worth and win based on the momentum from Bedlam. That did not happen. They didn't play poorly, but uh, didn't play well enough and felt too far behind and lost to a TCU team that still has NCAA tournament aspirations. The Horn Frogs are, very, are good, but they're not great. And they don't think, I don't think they had Mike Miles that Mike night. Mike Miles
1: was sitting there on the bench. And yes, yeah, this was, I said it on the radio, I think before the game uh, was, you know, is it going to be another case of one step forward, one step back with this group? Because mm-hmm. Saturday, you know, Bedlam gave every reason to, to think that, after the week they'd had where Mike Boynton, Boynton kicked it off, kind of just turned into his group, that they'd found something and that they were maybe trending on the up. But as we've seen kind of all year, and they've only won consecutive games once since late November. And and it was the case, again, they go down to TCU, riding momentum, no Mike Miles there, every reason to believe that they could beat a team that already beaten Stillwater this year. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, I, I think it was another kind of one of those microcosm games. It's like Mike, Mike Boynton likes to call them, where – there's periods where you're like wow this team you know this is what they can look like when when they're clicking and others where they're not and and at TCU they got they got bullied inside a bit more than I think they have um in a lot of games with all the size that this group has but bullied inside and on the boards and in the end you know they made a great run they they closed down the gap I think they trailed by as many as 13 and they closed it down at the end but they just ran out of time and I think you know you can chalk that up with, with a lot of the other losses this year that just kind of probably feel like what ifs for them that if they had you know, hadn't fallen so far behind in the first or second half, that comeback isn't so necessary in other winning games, but it's, it's been a bit of the same old story.
0: Mystifying is the word I would use to describe yeah. OSU's basketball season, and that includes the, uh, you know, the obvious the, sort of the flashpoint, the decision by the NCAA to keep them out of the postseason right before everything started. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 sort of mind-boggling. Uh, I know they go to Lawrence on Monday. Who, who they got this weekend before the j West,
1: West Virginia. West Virginia. And still water. And that, you know, that's West Virginia has not been playing all that well, but I don't know, as we've talked about, there's no easy games in the Big 12, and I don't mm-hmm. think Oklahoma State, certainly, the way the they've played should feel like there's any easy games. Um, but it would be, a, I think, for them, a big confidence boost before head off to Lawrence would, would be that. And one other interesting note, I wasn't in Fort Worth uh, the other night, but Isaac Likely is a senior, and he's—it's been referred to. This is his final season over and over. When I was in Kansas City with him, uh, at Big 12 media day in October, I asked him. I said, "It's your fourth year, but you know, as you well know now, and have most folks out there, COVID eligibility, eligibility, all that guys have at least one more year. It seems it seems like some guys have three, four more years of yeah. eligibility." He, but he said, "No, this is it for me." And, and granted, that was before the NCAA decision. But the other night, he hinted um, that he could come back next year. And that's that's an interesting wrinkle for this team, both um, a guy who probably still hasn't regained his form from two years ago, um, but also someone that after Bedlam, like Boynton said, you know, we don't win games without Isaac Likely. That whatever the stat line looks like, whatever his, his game maybe looks like, he's pretty dang crucial. So that, that's just an inter- interesting thing to maybe follow down the stretch as if he's going to make a return next year and what that could mean for this group.
0: Normally, uh, you refer to opening day as you approach uh, late winter, early spring, uh, you're talking about baseball, but in the case of Oklahoma State this week, it's uh, the softball program. Kenny team gets started on the road. I think everyone in the Midwest is either in Arizona, California, or Florida for the first month, it seems like, of the year. But that means you're usually loading up against good competition. Uh, OSU has enormous expectations attached to, to this team, Eli. Uh, we'll, we'll get it, I guess, an early indicator as to. As to the, the you know the ceiling if they're if they're going to go to places like Arizona State and yeah and place play teams from uh, the travel teams from the SEC who had that direction or or obviously Pac-12 competition.
1: Yeah, they're opening up with Arizona State. They have a ranked Duke team on the schedule coming up, uh, so there's going to be parameter. And you mentioned those expectations. I, I think it might be fair to call them Oklahoma expectations. These the expectations they have for themselves this year are or maybe what the standard has been a little bit south in Norman. Uh, Kenny Gajewski called it the most talented team they've assembled in his seven years. And they've got depth and they have talent and they've experience. And talk to him, talk to a lot of these players, Cheyenne Factor, uh, a familiar face. The expectation is for this group to not just get to Oklahoma City for the College World Series, but to be there in that final game. And, um, you know, Cheyenne Factor was asked, you know, could we have a bedroom final? You know, that would be pretty fantastic. It would be <laughs> quite a storybook ending. And she said, sure, maybe, but I don't care who we're, Going to play, we're going to be there in that final game, and um, th- I think there's plenty of reason to, to be excited about this group and, and get started tonight. So we'll get,
0: catch uh, the Cowgirls in action this week. We'll see how they uh, they get started. Uh, obviously, another big weekend for Mike Boynton's uh, basketball program with West Virginia in Stillwater, and then the trip to Lawrence Monday night. And who knows what football brings us in the, in the coming week? There's always something cooking everywhere, not just Stillwater. There is no such thing as an offseason anymore, certainly not for coaches uh, who got to keep track of, uh, of the portal almost every waking second of the day. Good to see you, Eli. Uh, thanks for joining me. And thank you, folks, for tuning in and joining us. We'll be back next week with uh, another vidcast, if you will, courtesy of your friendly neighborhood, Tulsa World.